0: Welcome to North Boston, Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in his love. We're grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. 2020 is... Um, <laughs> this freaking year um, has been so crazy but it's we've got less than a week of it left and uh, I don't even know what to say I don't I really don't know what to say I remember when it was still lent and we started this quarantine and this online service and we are now we are now from March to the end of December Um, I know I know I didn't start it but I am so sorry that we have not been able to meet I know that's really hard for a lot of us worshiping, and I I know, um, obviously we're making the most of it, but it's, it's definitely very difficult to, to, um, sometimes find faith in the midst of, um, in the midst of having it be so up in the air, having it be so uh, unstable and, I hear you and I see you, for those of you guys who might have made crazy transitions this year, for those of you guys who might be looking back on your year and saying, what what the heck happened? You know, I'm right there with you. I have no idea, um, but we're here together and, and our faith is still real and I can't, I can't, I'm frustrated that as, as your pastor, I can't offer much more than that right now, but We have a future. We have a living hope. And we just passed through the series of Advent. Uh, Oh, yes. Merry Christmas, by the way. Merry, Merry Christmas. And a Happy New Year. Um, But we went through Micah. And Micah is about hope in hard times. Hope when all things crash down upon you. Hope for the poor, the marginalized. Hope for the weary, the brokenhearted. Um, Hope that God is... Who he is and what he says he will do. And I had no idea that that's what God had in mind for us when he had us read through Micah. But we're here and um, I just want to say one thing before we jump into the sermon. Um, (laughs) I want to say that I wanted today to be, you know, a nice little break. A reprieve, and and it is a very encouraging message. I wanted today to be a nice little reprieve. Had Psalm forty six ready for us. It was like, yeah, the one time I get to preach from a psalm. Just just struggling through the end of my Hebrew poetry class. I was like, you know, this is it. This is it. And then the Lord really convicted me um, to preach this against to start on this sermon series early against my own will. Uh, not against my own will. Just kidding. Not against my own will, but to start on early, so with that, Happy New Year, we're going to start our sermon series through the Book of Romans, Um, so the Book of Romans is one of the most, one most, uh, one of the commentaries was explaining it today, I was reading it, one of the most exciting and relevant books that the Christian can read, um... The word exciting really got me because I was like, there's nothing exciting about this. Um, (laughs) I'm not excited, Uh, but it it is a book that is less a letter and more a treatise. Um, Paul, at this point, has preached through 25 years, and so I just want to explain the context of it before we even read the passage, um, just so that we can separate that a bit. Uh, but we're going to be going through a sermon series on Romans. So a little bit about Romans before we start on our sermon. The author is Paul. Why does Janeville go through these things that seem like lectures and teachings? But it's really important that we understand exactly what time, when, and who these words came from. So the author is Paul. Paul identifies himself. There hasn't been much to contest that. Um, so at this point, in, in his um although the date of it is is more foggy, we can tell exactly when in his ministry he writes this. At this point he's been preaching for almost 25 years. He's planted churches, he's had pastoral problems, he's had debates with people who don't believe in God, and he's gone through most of the churches along the Mediterranean are all Most of the churches, a lot of the churches, a great amount of the churches were planted by Paul. And so Paul is this pivotal figure in this ministry across the Mediterranean Sea, past Jerusalem. And he's been preaching for almost 25 years. Who is this to? If who if we know who wrote it, who is it to? It's to the Romans. Hence, the book title, Romans. Because it's to the Romans. It's specifically to the Christians who live in Rome. There's a Jewish minority because the Jews were forced. Uh, there was an order that was decreed by the governor. The Jews were kicked out of Rome and then let back in. And so the church is heavily Gentile with this minority of Jews who believe themselves to still be the original chosen people. So that's a bit of that's a bit of racial cultural tension right there. Um, obviously, Roman, Rome is a thriving city. Rome is the epicenter of the Roman Empire, um, and so that's where they live. And this book is less a letter and more a treatise. And what I mean by that is, it's a summary of Paul's theological beliefs that he sends before him to Rome. Um, now, granted, it's a letter. It's to the Romans. It's not written to be doctrinal um, theology. So, uh, a lot of the times, Romans is the basis of a lot of systematic theology, but Romans itself is not necessarily so systematic. Um, it's it's a book that is so tailored to the people that he's writing to because Paul is extremely pastoral before he is anything else. So that's that's what Romans is. I just need you to understand that that that's the context of Rome. That's the context of the Christian church. This is Paul and where he's at, and this is the type of purpose this book was written for. Okay. The reason why I lay that out is because Romans is thick. This is a this is a long intro, but Romans is thick, and this. Gee, is is very encouraging, but the sermon after that is going to get really thick with like multiple C's and a couple Q's, um, so it's, it's just, bear with, please bear with me, um, and remember these things, that, that this is how it was written, so let's just jump right in, would you guys open your Bibles with me, it's Romans chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to be reading through Romans chapter 1, verse 1, through Romans chapter 1, verse 17. So that's technically I'll be reading 18 verses, but it's verses 1 through 17. Uh, Romans is in the New Testament. It's after the book of Acts. I believe it's before the book of Galatians. Let me just up oh, 1 Corinthians. It's before 1 Corinthians. So between Acts and 1 Corinthians, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts, Romans. So that's where it is in the New Testament. I'll be reading from the ESV. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle... Set apart for the gospel of God, which He promised beforehand through His prophets in the holy Scriptures, concerning His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is a power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in praying together? Holy Spirit, we rely heavily on you. We are at a crossroads of seasons. 2020 is ending. And Lord, we know that you are watching. We know that you are cooking up something. Uh, and that you are You are with us even when we don't understand. So, Abba, we cling to you. Holy Spirit, we ask for your guidance. Holy Spirit, take us, all of us, wherever we are, in every single room that we inhabit right now. Holy Spirit, take us to the next level with you. Help us to be aware of your presence right now. May your spirit rest upon every head. May your spirit make every heart skip a beat. Jesus, you are real. We do not doubt, and some of us may doubt, but we acknowledge past our unbelief right now that you are real. Hide me behind your cross, that only you are magnified, only your words are preached, and that your children, your people, would be strengthened. Take us, Holy Spirit, to the next level with you. Be with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Now that I've got all that teaching stuff out of the way, it's nice that I just have it out of the way. That's the author, that's the context, that's the, that's the point of the book. And I'm going to be addressing the point of the book more and more as it gets thicker and thicker and thicker. Um, but I want to first address Paul's greeting. At first glance, this is the type of point in the book where everybody kind of everybody's eyes kind of glaze over we skim through it we're like okay this is what paul is this is what paul's saying about jesus this is how paul loves the romans the first thing though i because i really want to delve into this because i think paul is getting at something by the way he addresses god's people the reason for that is is that this time period operates on rhetoric It's not just the content, but it's the structure of how Paul words himself and how he situates himself to, to like, to be able to say everything that he's going to say for the next 16 chapters. The way that Paul situates himself is really important. So I'm, let's, let's go into that a little bit. Paul describes himself three ways. The first thing he does is he establishes his master. The second thing he does is he establishes his office. Uh, The second... Yes, and the third thing he does is he establishes his purpose. Oh, I realize I did not read the main idea. The main idea is that as we are justified by faith, we live it out by loving others and obeying him without shame. The title for this sermon is, I am unashamed of the gospel. I am unashamed of the gospel. So... That's the so those three things are the are the things that Paul describes himself. So the first thing he says is, "I am a servant of Christ Jesus." The word for this, is "doulos," is slave. I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. the The purpose of Paul saying this about himself is not to is not to demoralize or dehumanize himself because the slavery in this time is not quite the level of inhumanity that we have experienced in the modern world through the transatlantic slave trade and chattel slavery so i don't want to even make that comparison it's a it's there's only one word for it but they are two completely different institutions was it still oppressive oh yeah but it's not nearly what it is for us today and so paul says that he is a slave for christ why? Why does Paul say that he is a slave of Christ? It's not because he is demoralizing or dehumanizing or marginalizing himself. He is establishing his master. So the first thing he's saying is, I belong. I take orders from, and this is the nature of my relationship to Christ. The second thing he says is I'm called to be an apostle. He establishes his office. Why does Paul do that? Paul is not deacon. Paul is not elder. Paul is not pastor. Paul is apostle. Paul is very pastoral And he is a pastor too many. But his calling is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And he establishes what the heck his role is in the church. First thing he says is, I belong to Christ. I have this particular relationship with Christ. The second thing he says is, this is my role in the body of Christ. And the third thing he says is he is set apart for the gospel. And this third thing is him establishing his purpose. Growing up, when I when I when I read, because I read um I grew up in a very, 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 very Presbyterian church. I have no problems with that, no qualms with that. Um, but Presbyterians, I mean everybody does, but Presbyterians particularly love Romans. They love that theology, they love that doctrine. So people, you know they love romans you know i was typing up because um with the with any extra christmas money that i get i'm gonna buy myself a lot of romans commentaries because i'm a nerd um and i was looking at romans commentaries and there are just so many like people clearly like care about romans commentaries more than anybody else i bet you it's because the presbyterians they love romans right and so i grew up i've read romans maybe like four times like I heard I heard a sermon, I'm sure multiple, multiple sermons throughout youth group, went through a sermon series in college, went through a Bible study going through Romans, went through a Bible study for camp going through Romans, and then read Romans on my own because I was challenged to oh so that's five times. Yeah. Um there's this I don't want to call it obsession. That's that's too far. Too far, Jane. Even as a joke. Good humor, too far. But I don't know. So uh, so I read Romans a lot and, and one thing that I, I was always a little bit like eek about is is Paul saying that he was set apart for the gospel. Because throughout my life I have not I have so so often struggled with being set apart, being holy. It is so hard for human beings to be set apart um, from the rest of the world. And I thought that he was establishing I am holy, right? But this is actually him establishing purpose. That's, that's something I only came to realize when I when I like unpacked the original language a little bit. Paul is saying that he was set apart. Not that he is set apart, although he is, but that he was set apart. He's establishing the purpose of his office by his master. Okay? And that's why he's saying that he's called to be an apostle and a servant of Christ because he's set apart for the gospel, He was set apart for the gospel. And that in being set apart, he's called to be an apostle and that he has this identity, this tie, unbreakable tie to Christ and that he only takes orders from him. And then for the next three verses... Paul talks about the gospel and faith. He goes into Jesus. So maybe for about like two, three verses, Paul explains himself, and then for the rest of it, it's just all all about Jesus. This is really interesting because that's not really conventional. Let me put it this way. How do you introduce yourselves? Let's say you're going into an interview. How are you going to introduce yourself? I don't know if you guys have ever I mean I'm sure actually I'm sure nearly all of you have heard my answering machine because I'm sorry I suck um but my answering machine has my like professional voice so I'm like ah in person but it's like hi I'm Jane leave a voicemail after the beep and then my voicemail is full um but that's like my my professional voice um and I introduce myself like hi I'm Jane right If I have to do an elevator pitch for a context of business, I'm going to go into my accomplishments, what I am skilled with, what I have done, and what my passion is, right? Let's say you are going to see somebody else's family, say a friend's family or your significant other's family. How are you going to introduce yourself? What kind of way do you want to be portrayed? Maybe altruistic, kind, dignified, A man or woman of integrity. Um, And you would be hasty to maybe share about yourself. This is what I do for a living. This is how I've grown up. Um, What about if you go to a new church? A lot of us uh, might feel still new to North Boston, even though we've been here for many months now, because really, quarantine is just... I don't even know what the hell quarantine is in terms of time. Um, but how do you, how would you introduce yourself when you go to a new church? What are the first things that you could ask? I hate small talk, but it is so necessary. Um, what are some of the first things that you could ask about? Probably your job, what you're up to these days, where you live, how life's been for you. And those things are very valuable things, but they are your introduction, right? Imagine all of that being about somebody else. Imagine all of your elevator pitch being about somebody else in your relationship to somebody else. The only feasible example I can think of that is my mother. Um, or anybody's mother's um, in, in the older generation. Because the older generation operates insofar as family. And in, in, I always say this. There's a word, there's a word for, um, there's a word, I believe, it. I can't believe I forgot this, I love this word, I believe it is Swahili, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's this word called Ubuntu, Ubuntu means I am because we are. I am because we are. And we live by, oh, we are our own selves. I think, therefore, I am. But Ubuntu goes by I am because we are. And a lot of the older generation operates on that. So you might hear it often. And actually, it happens to most families by the time they become families. It's like, instead of of addressing somebody by their name, you'll address them as blank like Oma. Like... My parents get called Jainoma, Jainapa, right? And that's kind of like one way that they start to even identify themselves. Like it's another name for them. Jainoma, yes, that's me, right? And their identity becomes interwoven with their child. Paul interweaves his identity with Christ here. He almost desires to be called Christ's Blank, Christ's son, Christ's apostle, and he allows not even his relationship to Jesus. Because some of us, some of us might take pride in our relationship to Jesus. Paul identifies himself off of the gospel. Paul's primary identification point is not his past, it's not his family, it's not even his testimony. It's the gospel. That's always been really interesting for me, because he, he doesn't he doesn't explain his testimony a lot. So that's how Paul introduces himself. He establishes his master, he establishes his calling or his office, and then he establishes his purpose. And then Paul addresses the Romans. He gives thanks for them, he wants to connect with them, and then something interesting. He explains why he hasn't met them sooner, and he almost appeals to them lovingly um, and apologetically. This is actually because some people in the Roman church are angry that Paul hasn't come sooner. I mean, Rome is the centerpiece of, I mean, Rome is the centerpiece of the Roman Empire, right? And yet, why has Paul not come sooner? And they get a little salty about that. So Paul says, "I, I really tried. But God led me elsewhere, and that's for that's to multiply His kingdom, and I hope you understand. So the first thing is, as we see, Paul is kind of apologetic and also lovingly, lovingly assuaging um, their saltiness, um, and that's how that's how he shows his love for other people he doesn't identify himself based off of his based off of his achievements he lays himself out reverently, and it's clear that his main task is to preach the gospel and to love god's people and he expresses his love for the roman church he expresses his pride for them and he appeals to them saying oh, i'm sorry i haven't come sooner now that's the intro of Paul. And what's the purpose of that? Is it just to explain that he's set apart? Is it to establish himself as a leader? Is it to love on even the body? Yes, but it's even more than that. Paul establishes himself and introduces himself for six verses, and then explains all of this, his love and his care and his desire to see them for another eight, spending, expending literally 15 verses... Just because... We're 16 verses. Just because Paul wants them to see an example of Christianity. I'm going to turn your attention here to this verse. It says... This is verse 5. Through we have received grace and apostleship to bring out the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Christ so Paul identifies himself this way he acts in his calling and he ropes the body of Christ in with his calling and then he mentions obedience of faith Paul is displaying himself as a model to live by some theologians say oh is he passively evangelizing no he's actually discipling Paul here is discipling the church by being an example. By being an example. Some of us may have been on the receiving end of, or maybe some of us maybe have been on the receiving end of this salt. Some of us may have been the object of this salt. I will say that I really relate Deposit imploring. Um, because I love you guys, and I but I'm one person, and I constantly disappoint you guys because I can't be in five different places at once. Although I really wish I can. Imagine if I can do Kage... Is it Kage Gunshin? Sorry, I don't know why I mentioned that. But that's the only time that... That's the only time where people are... Multipl- I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't know why. I just wish I could multiply. And that every single person, every single thing... Stop shaking your heads at me. Okay? They're estimating at me. This is unnecessary. But... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but I wish that there could be five of me and that those five of me can all do their own autonomous thing. Um, but I can't. And and I, I relate to Paul in that sense. I don't know if you guys relate to Paul or if you guys um, are comforted by his words. Um, but the purpose of Paul's intro... And showing his love and explaining himself is explaining his obedience to Christ and his commitment to the church. He loves them even when they're salty and he goes through extra lengths to explain his calling. Now at this point, not everybody in Rome likes him. And then we come, then comes the next two verses that have been misinterpreted or interpreted differently over and over. I have to confess, I believe I preached a sermon to you guys um, that might not have been completely accurate a couple years ago about these two verses. Um, And I think it's important to address these next two verses. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. A lot of the times, this is explained or used to explain evangelism. That we ought not to be ashamed of the gospel. And that was a way that I I had used it as well, or I had preached about it as well. Um, And I do believe that that was something that God was putting on my heart for, for the body of Christ. But when you really look at this context, you see that this is about more than that. Or maybe not really about that. So this this is Paul getting a little bit defensive, but he's getting rightly defensive because there are people who are salty at him. And we're saying, you know, when people are salty at leaders for not showing them the love that they desire to receive, oftentimes that takes away from how much those particular members of the body of christ respect that pastor or leader um, and so most likely this salt is leading to maybe a lack of respect for paul maybe uh and if you don't care about me i don't care about you either kind of attitude uh we don't fully know the full measure of what kind of response the roman church was taking but Paul is addressing that here. He says he's not ashamed because he knows the gospel he preaches is the divinely appointed means to bring about salvation to the world. He explains that righteousness is God's. Righteousness is from God, and righteousness is by God. And it is a characteristic of God. And that because of that righteousness that has that is a characteristic of God, that is given to us by God, and that is from God, he is not ashamed. So that's what this is talking about. He's actually saying, I'm not ashamed to come before you guys. And I'm not ashamed to continue to do my ministry, even though I am limited. Even though I am not perfect, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. The crux of these verses is, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then there are three conjunctions, because, for, just. And these things explain what righteousness is. The righteousness is that it is the power of God, that a righteousness is from God, that this righteousness is God's, and that this righteousness is by faith, by God, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And these verses end with the word. Faith. Explaining that righteousness is given to us by faith. Let me explain it this way. Because righteousness is hard to explain. It is full and right standing. It is blamelessness. No blemish. No imperfection. A lofty expectation that nobody can hold. But let me explain to you this concept of us being made righteous by faith, because that's confusing. And I've explained it many times as I've explained Abraham, and that's going to come up again because that's a very key theme in Romans. But let me explain it to you again, okay? Let's say, obviously we've seen throughout quarantine, I'm so sorry, Wesley, that I don't know why, I don't know why, but this came to me, so I apologize for throwing you under the bus. But Wesley can grow a beard so fast Nobody I can't even keep up, right? Wesley doesn't shave for a week and it's there. He doesn't shave for two weeks It's all brown, you know, it's nice and like chunky, right? Let's say I am gifted a beard from what Wesley has shaved off Now don't don't make any memes. I'm going to keep the mic right here Don't make any memes. Don't make any memes Um, But let's say I am gifted a beard from what Wesley has shaved off and it's implanted into my skin Okay I don't know why this is the only thing I can think of, but it just came to me. Um, I tried to stop laughing uh, or chuckling or feeling the need to laugh to hear me out. Okay. Hear me out. Let's just sit in that for a second. How can we apply this into our lives? God has accepted us in faith as we are and how can we ex- apply that entire lives? What are some of the ways that you have gotten it twisted? What are some of the ways that you have gotten it twisted? Let's apply this. Do you struggle to think of yourself as worthy? Maybe you guys are saying right now, I don't deserve any of this. I'm a bad husband, I'm a bad wife, I'm a bad son, I'm a bad daughter. I suck, I'm a bad Christian. I can't seem to get it right. It's hard to focus on God Maybe some of you guys are like I'm I'm bad to my significant other. People in my church, they know my flaws. I can't hide it from anybody, and I don't deserve it. And you end up thinking in this way that you are not worthy of the love of God. To you I say we were never worthy. The gospel is euangelion, good news, because it announces that God accepts us anyway. That is the point. I know that you've heard this over and over again. Maybe you guys have had countless come-to-Jesus moments, but why are you still trying to earn it? Yes, yeah, so what if you fall apart a bit? So what if you fall short? So what if you've fallen back into pornography during quarantine? So what if you have struggled with substance abuse? Maybe for our younger ones who are shocked by that. So what if you have been imperfect? If your grades aren't all the right things? If you aren't always a good son and daughter and you know it? So what? When did that change your status with God? If you've heard this over and over again, why does that become reason for you to let him go? When will you get it? No amount that you read or don't read changes how much God accepts you. You really think God didn't know? A lot of the times our greatest sins are going to be committed while we are a Christian, not beforehand. See, faith, faith, that's what makes you set apart. I still believe. I have fallen short, but I still believe. It is so hard for me to stay faithful to you right now, but I still believe. The work you put in is not what makes you worthy. It is God's grace. You can't do anything to earn it. And you can't do anything to have it be taken away. God accepts you as you are. you're loved. What can I say? You are so deeply loved, even when you don't want to receive it, even when you're angry at the Lord, even when you're sad at God, even when you feel far from God. It doesn't matter. Why is it so easy for us to forget our righteousness? Maybe you guys might be wondering, Jane, though, I I know you're saying all these lovely, wonderful things, but I, I actually do suck. <laughs> and I have I have messed up. And I'm not doubting the fact that you've messed up. I want you to know, I'm not saying you haven't. Maybe there are ways you're hurting your relationships with others that need to be addressed. Maybe there are ways that you are hurting your body that needs to be addressed. And if you are struggling with any level of addiction of anything of any kind, that needs to be addressed. You're not only hurting your body or your soul or your mind, but you are hurting the people around you as well. And I'm not discounting how necessary it is to move forward from those things. I'm not talking that down at all. But that doesn't change your righteousness. If all of a sudden the gravity of your sin made you forget your justification by faith, what does that say about the power of sin versus the power of God in your psyche? And you know, things will need to be addressed as they come up. But this speaks to the ways that our relationships with God also need work. Not for the sake of making us holy, but because it's a relationship. And yes, it is making our inner outside holy in reaction to the inside that has already been made righteous. But we work on that because we are in a relationship with God. Because we have already been made that way. Not every family relationship is perfect, but we're not good to our parents because we need to earn their our relationship with them. It's because we already have it. That's why we're good to them. Just because you walk away because you are discouraged by your lack of righteousness doesn't actually mean that the relationship goes away. And this brings me to my next point. How do we work at our relationship then? As imperfect people, as sinful people, how do we work at our relationship? We wrestle and we become open to what God says so that we can learn to follow him. What does, what does Jeng do mean by that? God's offer of faith is a faith that must by its very nature always be accompanied by obedience. A commitment to obey is inextricably bound with faith. God desires to be with us and transform us. But that's not a necessary requirement to justification. It comes afterwards. Faith is bound to obedience. And that's why double lives are bad for faith. Some of you guys, it might be easy, you know, it's easier to let ourselves fall into things, to let ourselves do this and that because, because we, we desire, because we, we know the grace of God. I can fool around because I know the grace of God. Yes. But you know that nagging feeling in the back of your mind, in the back of your heart, when you choose other things over God, not just like bad things. But good things, they're just not God things. Your job, your family, anything that you put above the Lord. Your time. The scare of commitment. Whatever it may be. When you choose you don't know, actually that nagging feeling that I was talking about in the back of your mind like eh but I mean, we're saved by grace, right? So why am I, why am I, why am I? Why do I have this nagging feeling? It's because faith is active. That's not just a nagging feeling that is your conscience that that is, you know, working in overdrive. That's supposed to be there. Because once you are justified, the Holy Spirit is in you. Even if you're broken... Even if you suck, even if you haven't read the Bible for the past year and a half or however long it's been, the Holy Spirit is already in you. And what you're feeling is your counselor, the counselor right here that Christ talked about. Don't just put that aside. A commitment to obey is inextricably bound with faith. If we don't live out our faith, it hurts it. saying that you will be less justified if you do not obey, but your faith in God will be damaged. The more you disobey, your willingness to follow him becomes damaged. The more you disobey. God accepts you as you are but it is necessary for us not just to sit on that and sit on the good feelings of that, but to understand the severity of the ways that we've tried to earn God and obey him because of the relationship we already have. This is a lot of basics. There's a lot of basics. But as our year comes to a close, let me ask you something. Can you receive that? That God accepts you as you are? The work you put in is not what makes you worthy, but it's that his acceptance comes readily to you. Let me ask you another question. Do you base your security in your relationships and your identity off of that? Or do you still live like being loved by other people is what adds worth and value to you? Do you still operate transactionally in your relationship with God? That's why Paul's elevator pitch is all about God. Cause he's like, well, I suck and praise God that I do. For Christ has regarded my hopeless estate and shed his blood for my soul. How do you introduce yourself? What you introduce yourself with is often what you're most proud of. Romans is about a worldview, And the first two things that need to be broken, not just in our congregation, but in the world today, is the individualistic nature of Christianity and the transactional nature of American Christianity. There is no transaction. That is the gospel. The gospel is a forensic transaction that has already happened. There is no transaction in your relationship. You must break that way of thinking when it comes to the Lord. If you feel discouraged and far, that's just your feeling. That's not your reality. Your reality is that God is right there. That's what scripture says. Don't put your feelings, your own worldview, your desire to earn things, and even your discouragement that you can't do it. Don't put that over the gospel. You are worthy. You are loved. And hear it not just as an encouragement, but as a severe moment of conviction. Break that habit that you have. Take in God's word for what it is. And stop adding to it. With yourself. With what you have to do and what you have to be. That comes after. And if you feel like you've done more and now you're more mature in your faith and now somehow you feel more good about your standing with God than when you were broken. Go back. Go back to the beginning. Your works do not get you into the kingdom of heaven. All we have to do is receive his offer of faith. It's offensive but are you willing to receive it? And for those of us who might have received it, but don't want to obey. Ha ha ha, you thought. (laughs) I thought, you know, I, I thought I could get away with not being a pastor. Are you kidding? Do you know how much money I would make? And the respect, it's fine, it's fine. The big things, the little things. Oh God, I'm so tired. Okay, fine. (laughs) Drag myself in front of my Bible. Good morning, Hananim, how you doing? I'm okay, I'm okay because you're here. End with a conviction that I want to share my I was actually just convicted in the very beginning of this and I got hit oh a, a holy spirit moment that has been answering a year's worth of problems for me right now um, of course it would come on the last Sunday of 2018 uh, 2020 um, but I've been feeling very fatigued I don't know about you guys but I've been feeling I don't know what about you guys I've been feeling really fatigued about my job, about being a pastor, about being a researcher, about being a grad student. I've been feeling really, really fatigued. And I don't know why. God, I hope this isn't burnout. You know what I've realized? And this is what God hit me with today. That I might have been finding my identity in those things that I might've been identifying myself, giving myself a tap on the shoulder, being happy about the fact that I obey God, instead of letting those things be worship. And all those other motivations to do all of those things through 2018, through 2020 has been stripped away. And now, the only reason why I stay in everything that I stay in, is worship. There's, I'm tired, but we worship. Maybe all the good reasons for living has been stripped away. Seeing people, being a part of community, having fun together going out, experiencing life, being carefree, harmony, maybe all those other things, those reasons for why we stay in the things that we stay in to the things that God has called us to have been stripped away. Would you join me in receiving God's gifts of faith, accepting ourselves the way God accepts us And doing everything is worship. I wanna challenge you to worship God in your life. Let's take a moment to pray. Are you tired? Are you weary? Where are you? Where do you stand? Where do you stand in everything? Where do you stand? your relationship with God, your sin, could we just come before the Lord in an honest conversation with him and receive his gift of faith this morning. Receive it. Take it in for yourself. If you were blessed by this week's message, for more information check out our website at mbkumc.com.